I always encourage people, even if they're young, to go for an annual visit to the doctor and just have your regular exam. I, I think about my, young, my wife when she was just a, a healthy young woman in her mid-20s. She was discovered to have a life-threatening cancer, and so it's just always good to go to the doctor and have that annual exam. Now, if we have any hypochondriacs here and I've kind of unsettled you, I apologize for that. You know what the hypochondriac put on his grave tombstone, right, don't you? See, I told you I was sick. So, yeah. It's just good to go and have that annual exam, right? Well, this morning I'd like to invite you for not a physical exam, but to join me in an examination of your faith, of your religion, so to speak, a spiritual exam for us. Unfortunately, there are people, well-intended people sometimes, who in their faith begin to go off the rails. And rather than growing nearer to God, they pursue faith in a way that actually takes them farther away from God and actually leads them into destructive and self-destructive kinds of behavior. Now, there are some very clear, extreme examples of this that I can share with you, maybe to kind of help you grasp what I'm talking about. For example... There are sects within Islam where they have these suicide bombers who blow themselves up to injure other people. I would call that toxic faith, right? Not a healthy faith, but a toxic kind of faith. Jim Jones began as, a, as an ordained Assembly of God preacher. And he went off the rails and he took a group of people with him to this compound known as the People's Temple in Jonestown, Guyana. And you may remember reading about this. The authorities in the U.S. became concerned about the kind of abuse they heard that was happening there. And so on November 18, 1978, 909 people, including many children, died when they willingly drank or were forced to drink cyanide-laced Kool-Aid. If you've ever heard that expression about drinking the Kool-Aid... This is the, the event from which that is, is, is has been drawn. And then the third example is this. The largest loss of life in a law enforcement event in modern U.S. history happened in 1993. A man named Vernon Hall became involved with a cult. It grew out of Christianity. It focused on the second coming of Jesus in a way that we would say is maybe unorthodox. And so he began to lead this cult. He changed his name later to David Koresh. And this cult began to amass so many weapons and so much ammunition that the federal authorities finally raided the ranch near Waco, Texas. What ensued was a 51-day siege where four law enforcement, federal law enforcement agents were killed and 82 Branch Davidians, as they were known, including 28 children, also died. Now, those are pretty extreme examples. In fact, you might be listening thinking, boy, Pastor John, that's, that's really out there. Is there something Pastor Zach and you are thinking about for our church that we should be aware of? And <laughs> Zach's shaking his head, no, no, right. These are extreme examples. But there are ways that people, intending to draw near to God, pursue their faith in a way that is actually destructive to them and their life spiritually. And unfortunately, that is exactly what happened to the Jewish religious leaders in the day of Christ. I'd like to invite you, if you have your Bible, to open to our teaching text today. 
It's found in the Gospel of Jesus according to Mark, chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. So if you have your Bible, open please to Mark, chapter 2, verse 18, as we continue our study of the Gospel of Mark. And in this passage, we're going to see a clear contrast between what I would call the toxic faith of the Pharisees and the healthy faith of following Jesus Christ. We see a contrast between a, a, a religion that's toxic and a, a heartfelt following Christ, healthy kind of religion, kind of faith. So if you went to the doctor for your annual exam, there are certain tests the doctor would run. There are certain indicators he would look to to evaluate your health. He'd look at your blood pressure. Uh, he would look at your body weight. They would do blood work. They'd look at your blood sugar. They would look at certain things. And in this passage, we're going to see four indicators of a healthy faith in contrast to a toxic faith. So looking now with me in Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 18, now that you're comfortable, I'd like to invite you to stand with me as I read from God's inspired word. I, I just kind of like to do this as we read what God inspired Mark to write. Mark 2, verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and the people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth um, on an old garment, if he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. No one puts new wine into old wine skins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wine skins. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. As they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathor, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately had held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Wow. Let me pray for us. Father, we're here today, most of us, because we're people of faith, we're interested in exploring faith. You can say we're religious. We want a faith 
We want a religion. We want a way of living our life spiritually that is not toxic, but is healthy. That draws us closer to you, not pushes us farther away from you. That leads to good and not to harm. Will you help us examine ourselves today in light of your scripture? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Let's be seated. Well, I would like to begin by zooming out to the 35,000 foot level, as they say, and kind of look at the flow of what's been happening with Jesus. Actually, rather than just a series of events that are not related to one another, uh, there, there is a unit of teaching that Mark is laying out here in the flow of the narrative of the life of Christ. It goes back to last week's passage, which is chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And it goes through the end of today's passage, Mark 3, verse 6. These are not unrelated events. These are five encounters Jesus has with the Jewish religious leaders that result in conflict with these Jewish religious leaders. It began when they lowered the man through the roof who was paralyzed, and Jesus said, I forgive your sins. And they were offended because only God can forgive sins. And then Jesus called uh, Levi, a tax collector, to be his follower. And Jesus ate with Levi and all his sinful tax collector friends. And this was insulting. This was offensive to the Jewish leaders of the day. And so then we come to these conflicts, three conflicts that we see in our passage that we just read. And each conflict, as it happens, intensifies and escalates to the point that we come to verse 6 in chapter 3 where the Pharisees and the Herodians, and, and by the way, I should say, as an aside, the Pharisees did not like the family of Herod. Herod's family led and ruled several areas of, of the Jewish people for the Roman government. And the Pharisees hated Herod's family and, and the Romans. And the Herodians, and we don't know a lot about them except we know that this was a sect of Judaism that actually liked Herod's family and liked the Romans. These two groups didn't usually get together, but they had a common enemy that brought them together, and that was Jesus Christ. And so the gloves come off, and they're sharpening their knives, getting ready to make a run at Jesus to destroy him. And so they're, they're upset with him. And, and, and as you look at this, and you read through this in the Bible, it's easy to think of these Pharisees and, and Jewish religious leaders as one-dimensional characters in a movie. They're the evil bad guys in the movie. But that's not true. These were real people. In fact... These were God's people. These were people who took God seriously, who took their faith and their religion seriously. Yet they went so horribly wrong in their religion that they became furious. They became irrational in their rage with God himself in human form for doing what? For healing a man? How did they get so far off the rails? Could that happen to me? Could that happen to you? Where people seeking in the name of Christ to do what they think in their faith is right actually do something completely opposite from what God would have them to do and what Christ would have them to do. 
So let's look at four safeguards that kind of help us evaluate our faith to see if we've got a toxic faith dynamic going on in our life or if we are moving in a healthy direction in how we're pursuing our faith. And here's the first marker that we want to look at. A healthy faith focuses on Jesus. It focuses on Jesus. This first encounter that we see in what we just read today in verses 18 through 22 is about fasting. Fasting is where you go a period of time without eating so that you can focus on prayer. Now, that's not a bad spiritual practice, is it? The Old Testament law under Moses that God had, uh, had given to Moses required all of God's people to fast one day a year. And that was on the Day of Atonement, when the high priest would go into the holy of holy place and make atonement for the people and their sins. And they were to fast that day. Now, after the Babylonian captivity, prophets who came after that, we call them post-exilic prophets, they introduced four more national days of fasting. And then um, the book of Ruth gives the background for a fifth. Now, the Pharisees, who wanted to be super spiritual, they wanted to be really religious in their faith, and, and they went overboard, and they said every good Jew should fast twice a week. On Monday and Thursday, you should fast. And the problem was that Jesus and his followers weren't doing these fasts like they were supposed to. The Pharisees did it religiously, and they made a big show of it when they did it. And Jesus didn't. Look at the explanation Jesus gives for why he doesn't do it. You'll notice Jesus does not go and give kind of some expositional study of the Old Testament teaching about fasting. Rather, Jesus calls attention to who he was and what he was doing in their midst right there. And he uses three metaphors from everyday life to show who he is and what it is that he is seeking to do. And here is the first metaphor. First, he is the bridegroom at a wedding feast. Look at verse 19. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding feast fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. He's referring to when he dies on the cross and is buried and then resurrected and ascends into heaven there in that last part. Now, in our day, the wedding usually focuses more on the bride, doesn't it? But in Jesus' day, it focused more on the groom. And weddings were big events. They went at least a week long. And they were big celebrations. And there was no fasting involved in that week of the wedding celebration. The Jews had an understanding of, from the Old Testament of this metaphor of a wedding banquet representing when the Messiah would come and, and, and bring in his reign. And it would be a reign of peace and blessing and joy and and it would be a time of great celebration. And the New Testament uses that image of the consummation of God's kingdom. That, 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 that um, eternity in heaven is going to be like a big wedding banquet with the Messiah Savior there celebrating for all eternity. But the Jewish leaders did not grasp this. Here they were looking at the bridegroom looking in the eyes of the Messiah Savior, God in human form, and, and they completely missed it. God's kingdom was coming. Salvation was coming. There it was, the time to celebrate. But they completely missed it. Now, why did they miss it? I'll tell you in a moment. Let's look at the second metaphor that they, Jesus uses to show who he is and what he's doing. And he talks about a patch, a, a patch of new cloth 
that is sewn onto an old garment that has already been washed and dried and has shrunk. And obviously when you do that, if, if you're using cloth that hasn't already been pre-shrunk, when it shrinks, it's going to tear that old garment. And what Jesus is saying is this. God is at work in a new way. The old covenant is being replaced by a new covenant that Jesus is bringing. And he makes the same point again with a third metaphor that he uses to describe himself. And that is of new wine and old wineskins. Look with me at verse 22. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed and sore the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Now, you guys probably know that they would make these wineskins. They would take leather, animal leather, and they would make um, uh, containers for wine. And, and it was supple and flexible. And you put new wine in that, and you know what new wine is doing, right? What is new wine doing? It's continuing to ferment and put off gases, right? So you, you guys know a lot about that, don't you? Yeah. Oh, looking okay. <laughs> okay. Um, and so the, here it is, it, you put it in there and it expands and it's great. But if you put new wine that's still fermenting and putting out gases into a, the wineskin that's, that's dried out and brittle, it will it, just crack and make a mess and, and you'll spill it all out. And so what Jesus is saying is, I've come to establish a new covenant. Rather than the old covenant where you're going to the temple and you're making all these sacrifices, the sacrifice of the new covenant is what the Lord's Supper represents. That Jesus offers himself to die on the cross. That, that, that the old covenant with its old sacrifices are no longer required anymore. And God really made this point in the most graphic way when Jesus died on the cross. Now, let me see if you've been paying attention. What, is, what was the one day of the year the law of Moses said all God's people needed to fast. Day of Atonement. Man, you guys, good job. The Day of Atonement. When Jesus died on the cross, what happened to that curtain? You know, I had that curtain, and on the Day of Atonement, the priest would go past that curtain. And there, there was the, in the Holy of Holies, what was in there? Ark of the Covenant. Yeah, you guys know stuff. The Ark of the Covenant. And that's where it was called the mercy seat. That's where they would seek mercy before God. And, and, the, and the, the lid with the cherubim on it, um, it, it represented the very presence of God, right, right there. And so once a year, the priest would go in there. And what happened to that curtain when Jesus died on the cross? Torn from top to bottom. By the very hand of God himself, he reached down and he took that curtain and he tore it because no longer do you need the high priest to go that one day a year to make atonement. Jesus Christ did it. So it's a new covenant. And, and, and so um, I, I think about this and, and I wonder about something Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in Matthew 5, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets, I've come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And I wonder, how does Jesus abolish, how does he, how does he replace the old covenant without some way abolishing it? 
Well, he, 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 he told us. He told us because it is by fulfilling it and completing it. And some people like to use an analogy that I think works really well, and it's that of an acorn. Think if you have an acorn. Now, if, if you want to get rid of that acorn, there, you can do it one of two ways. You can destroy it. You can take a hammer and you can smash it. You can eat it and swallow it. That'll destroy it. Or you can take that acorn and you can plant it in the ground. And you can water it and fertilize it and it grows into a big tree. Now when you look at that tree, that tree is no longer an acorn. But all the genetic material and life that was in that acorn has been completed. It has been expressed in that tree. And what Jesus is saying is everything that is in the Old Testament is pointing forward to Jesus. All of those examples of the Passover lamb and Jesus was the lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. All of those things in the old law were pointing to Jesus. Those were fulfilled. They were completed in the gospel of Jesus and Jesus coming, reconciling fallen man with himself and giving himself on the cross so that we can have eternal life and forgiveness. Boy, that is a thing to be joyous about and to celebrate. This is why Jesus' disciples are celebrating. So my question is, why did the Pharisees miss that? They've got the scripture. They've got Jesus right in front of their eyes. How could they possibly, how could they possibly miss it? And I'll tell you how they possibly missed it. And it's this. They were looking at the Old Testament law as rules to obey, as something to do, rather than trusting what Jesus said of it. The law was something to reveal who God is. And it is good news. It's something to be believed. And it is something to hear and to trust in. So my computer has had a problem again. I have a new computer, and I'm getting used to getting me an iPad. So it'll help, help me if I could do that, Zach. <laughs> it really would. But uh, So Jesus tells us, in verse 25, he kind of alludes to it. But he really tells us what the problem with the Pharisees was and, and how the Pharisees used the Bible and viewed the Bible. He says it this way in John 5. He says in John 5, verse 37. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you, you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they who, that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Here's what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees looked at God's word as something to do to achieve a right relationship with God. Something I have to do, do's and don'ts, in order to be right with God. But God's word, from cover to cover, from beginning in the Old Testament to the Revelation in the New Testament, is God proclaiming good news. Here's what I've done for you. I have come in the person of Jesus to take your sins upon myself, to offer you forgiveness and eternal life. And, and it is something that is to be received and believed. It is not a bunch of do's and don'ts to be, 
just act it out on. And so here's the challenge for us, and it's this. Are we just trying to do things, or are we focusing on Jesus? Are we we abiding in Jesus? Do we love Jesus? You know, Peter denied Jesus. What did Jesus ask him? Peter, do you love me? In his letter to the churches in Revelation 2, he writes to the church in Ephesus, and he says, you guys are working hard, you've got good theology, but you have left your first love. I think he's saying love for him. And so the challenge for us is if our faith is not focused not on what we must do, but rather if it is focused on, if it's not focused on who we are following, it's going to become toxic in our life. And so a healthy faith focuses on Jesus. Secondly, and here's the second thing to consider, a healthy faith is biblical, biblical. Look with me at verse 23. One Sabbath, as he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, the disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathor, the the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which, was, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. The Pharisees, see, the Pharisees actually thought that their faith was, was very biblical, right? They were watching what Jesus was doing and his disciples were doing and thought that they were, they were doing something on the Sabbath they shouldn't do. The Sabbath was from God, wasn't it? It was in the Old Testament. We see God creating the world, and, on the, on, and then he rests on the seventh day, right? And so we're doing what God did. And God calls the Sabbath, the Sabbath, it means literally rest, because he wants us to rest. And, and, and he gives some law, in the law of Moses, he gives some rules about what you cannot do on the Sabbath. You can't cook food. You can't go to your job and work. You can't Gather firewood and make a fire in your house, which is something that they commonly did. You can't uh, go and harvest um, using tools, and and you you can't go to your and do trading. You can't carry loads in and out of the city gates. Doesn't it sound to you like the Sabbath is something that is biblical? Wouldn't you say? Sounds like it to me. So, so that's. The problem that the Pharisees saw, they, they saw Jesus' disciples rubbing the grain and eating as they're going through the grain fields, and they thought, look, they're harvesting. So, so what, what was wrong here? Notice Jesus' response. Jesus does not dismiss God's word. He doesn't say to them, hey, the Old Testament law no longer applies in regard to this. He doesn't say that, does he? In fact, what Jesus does is he points to another passage of Scripture he talks about something that happened to David that's recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 21 where David has already been anointed king, but he's not king yet. There is a guy who is still king by the name of Saul. And Saul is actually probably going insane. And he's in, I mean, literally he is. And he's being in, in, 
uh, afflicted by an evil spirit. And, and, and he and his army are pursuing David and David's men because he's a threat to his kingdom. He's trying to kill David and David's men. And, and David and his men had to flee quickly. And, and so they came to the tabernacle, but they didn't have any food or any provisions. And so they asked for the showbread. The showbread is 12 loaves of bread. Every Sabbath, the priest would lay out on this gold table in the holy place, not the holy of holy place, but the holy place, they would lay out these 12 loaves of bread, and every Sabbath they would replace them and put fresh loaves out. And the old loaves that had been out for a week, the priests were allowed to eat. And they gave that to David and his men so they could escape. And, and what Jesus was saying is this. <clears throat> yes, there are things that the Bible talks about. These, the, these rituals, you know, that I want my temple to be run by. But he's giving a precedence for rather than just strictly following the rituals of, of, of the cultic practices of the temple, there is regard for doing good and the thriving and the welfare of other people and David and his men. And, and so Jesus talked about this in, his, in Matthew's account. Jesus said this, he said, if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you, uh, would, have, you would not have condemned the innocent. What Jesus is saying here is this. The Pharisees were right, but there are other th teachings in Scripture that they weren't thinking about. We want to have a healthy faith that looks at the whole teaching of God's Word and the counsel of God's Word. And so, that's what a healthy faith does. Now, here's how toxic faith uses God's word. Here's how toxic faith abuses God's word. And it's this. First of all, we tend to add to the Bible. We tend to add to the Bible. This is where the Pharisees had a real problem. They like to add to Scripture. The Scripture talked about the Sabbath, yes, but they added a lot of human traditions to it. In fact, some rabbis actually taught that the Messiah would not come until Israel God's people kept the Sabbath perfectly. And if they ever got their act together where they would keep the Sabbath perfectly, then the Messiah would come. That's not in Scripture. They also added things like this. Um, the Talmud, which was not inspired by God. This is a collection of Jewish teachings. The Talmud had 24 chapters about rules of how you keep the Sabbath. And, and so they had rules, for example, like you could travel no more than 3,000 feet on the Sabbath. Now, their rules were impossible for anyone to keep, so they came up with ideas of how you get around it. How do you get around that idea that you can only travel 3,000 feet from your home on the Sabbath? Well, here's what they would do. If they were had to make a long trip, what they would do is they would go 3,000 feet the day, the day before. They would go 3,000 feet, and they would put a sack lunch there. And they would, they, would, they would do this at their, where there's kind of a narrow place in the road or maybe an alley. And they would lay a, place of, a little piece of wood or maybe just a rope across it. And then, here's their thinking. You travel 3,000 feet and then you cross a threshold and sit down and have a meal. And so what you have is a temporary home there. So you can go another 3,000 feet. Now, I know that sounds goofy, doesn't it? But you know what? I was reading about a Jewish guy today in our culture today. And, and, and this strict guy wanted to follow the law said, you know, you can only travel today 
a mile. You can't travel more than a mile unless they allow for you to travel farther if you're traveling over water. So what this guy did is he put a water bottle under the driver's seat of his car. <laughs> so no matter how far he drove, he was always traveling over water, right? And so Jesus said, all these traditions are a burden to the people, right? Because you're adding to the Bible. A few moments ago, I kind of poked at you guys a little bit about knowing a lot about wine, right? And, and one of the traditions that a, a, a Baptists have grown out of is that all alcohol is bad and wrong. Well, is that what the Bible teaches? No, it isn't. We tend to add things to Scripture, don't we? And so a toxic faith just piles on things that are human ideas rather than God's divine revealed word. The second way that toxic faith abuses God's word is to be very selective and to proof text it. And this is what you see today. People especially dealing with issues like same-sex marriage and things like that that are trying to say it's okay. You see them twist scripture in all kinds of ways. Have you ever had anyone say to you, the Bible says that there is no God? Have you ever heard that? I've actually heard that before. Well, you know, the Bible says there is no God. Well, the context of that statement, you know well, don't you? The fool says in his heart, there is no God, right? You can twist the Bible to say anything you want it to say. What we want to do is honestly look at it in its context and rightly understand it. And then toxic faith also uses the Bible as a weapon against others. It is to be a sword to be used in spiritual warfare, yes, but not against for beating other people over the head with. And we tend to do that. This is, this is exactly what the Pharisees were doing. They were saying, look at what your disciples are doing. They're snacking on the grain as they're going along the way. And, and God's word says. And they're, and they're doing it in a, in a way that is not helpful and healthy. Would the church of the, Jesus Christ ever have problems with that kind of thing? Sometime read Romans 14 and 15, where you had this Paul laying out how the church was fighting over if you eat meat sacrifice to idols or not, fighting over special days or not. And so we always tend to kind of focus on our little thing and use it as a weapon when maybe it's a disputable matter. Maybe there are different ways of interpreting it. And so a healthy faith doesn't do that. A healthy faith tries to use the Bible in a healthy, responsible way. Here's a third thing to look at, and it's this. A healthy faith seeks good. Now, after talking about the Sabbath, Jesus makes a statement in verse 27 and 28 that I find really interesting. We're going to have to zip through it. But boy, I, I wish we had time to really unpack this, Pastor Zach. I'm not as disciplined as I should be in my sermon preparation. But look at verse 27. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Here is the point Jesus is making. God gave the Sabbath to be a blessing to man. That you don't work your fingers to the bone seven days a week, week after week after week. That you can have a day to rest. That you can have a day to remember God as the creator who did that. To remember what God did for you. And, and, and his saving work in the world. For you to just focus on God. And so it's, it's meant to be a blessing. And what we tend to do is we tend to take the things of faith. And make them like the Pharisees made of the Sabbath. A burden. Something that you have to do. Rather than something that is a blessing. 
Look at verse 27. Jesus says something in a very subtle, but I think a very significant way. He says this. He said to them, the, the, the Sabbath was, was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And, 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 and then he said this, that he was Lord not over the Sabbath, but Lord of the Sabbath. And the difference is, I'm not the master that tells the Sabbath day what it should do. What he's saying is this, I am I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. When you come into relationship with me, when you follow me, you experience Sabbath rest. Remember Jesus said, my yoke is light. Come and learn of me and you'll experience rest. And in him we experience rest. And so here's, an, here's a concept, and it can be abused. I almost am hesitant to say it in this way, but it's this. God doesn't give us rules because we have to follow rules. God shows us the path where we can thrive, where we can experience his grace and his goodness and his blessing and experience the very best that we can experience. And, and when we start thinking about the teaching of Scripture as rules to obey, things that we have to do, then our faith becomes toxic. And, 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 and the ceremonial law was bendable when it benefited the needs of David and his men. And Jesus is setting that out there. Again, that can be abused, but that's something to think about. That God cares about our struggles and our needs and the seasons that we're going through. And, and sometimes things are not rigid in the way that we think they're rigid. So that's a healthy faith that realizes what God cares about is good. Now let me, let me extend that to a fourth thing, and it's this. It's related, but it's a, a separate thing, and it's this. A healthy faith is compassionate. Compassionate. Look at uh, chapter 3, verse 4. And he said to them, is, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent, and he looked around at them with anger. I think it's the only time it says Jesus was angry. There's one other place where it might allude to it, and he acts in ways that you might consider anger, but this is specifically he was angry, grieved at the hardness of their heart. And he said to them, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and he healed the man. Now, you might say, well, boy, these guys didn't do harm to this man. They just wanted Jesus to wait a day to heal him. But Jesus knew what God was going to inspire James to write a little bit later. James writes in James 4, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. And so here, here are two things for you to consider from this passage. First of all, it's this. Not breaking God's law is not the same thing as being a moral good person. You know, a, a rock doesn't break God's law. <laughs> it's not a moral good thing, is it? Not breaking God's law is not the same thing as being a moral good person. And the second thing to consider is this. Not doing good is as wrong as doing bad. Think about Jesus, what he taught about the Good Samaritan, right? The religious leaders saw a guy who was in need, and they didn't want to become ceremonial, unclean, so they walked around the guy, and they didn't help him. And they were sinning by not doing that. God is in the healing, helping, redeeming business. And as his followers, we should be too. And if our faith becomes just doing, you know, 
this and that that you're supposed to do and not doing the things that you're not supposed to do, but it's not looking with compassion in the ways that we can help others when we have opportunity. Our faith is going to become a toxic faith because a healthy faith is compassionate. A healthy faith focuses on Jesus. It's biblical in a good way. It seeks good, and it knows that God is at work for good, and it is compassionate. And so as you think about your faith, would you say it's a healthy faith? I know I tend to get a little toxic sometimes. Let's ask God to help us. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you for revealing yourself and calling us to hear the good news and to respond and to come to know you. Help us to live a healthy faith and not a toxic faith as we celebrate you. In Jesus' name.